You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio, and we're glad to have you listening in today. And uh, it's time now for one of my favorite shows because I get to talk to our historian who is uh, absolutely incredible. And uh, we will be talking to him. We got Philip Forsberg on on the other line. And uh, he is the man that can. And he is also uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And Philip has... I, I, I jokingly ask him if he was kin to an elephant. He's got a memory that is just absolutely incredible. But like with all of our shows, we start out with, uh, any of our veteran shows, we start out, our military type shows, we start out with a silent prayer for our veterans, for our active duty folks, and this also includes our first responders. So we'll pause here for one minute and uh, just thank God for the wonderful country we live in and also uh, all of our people that are first responders, and that includes military, includes our veterans. They've been first responders, so we'll be back right after this. to make sure everybody's heart is beating and beating at the right pace. And I know what used to get my heart going, and uh, I do it again. And he was describing me. Oh, man. Okay, but... Anyway, we got that cadence call in, and uh, we we never were polite enough to say cadence call. We always called them Jody's. And uh, like I said, we have Philip Forsberg on. Good afternoon, Philip. I got you loud and clear. How me? Oh, you're you're doing good. Okay, so we're into our remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. We have. Uh, I asked Philip, uh, yesterday if, if he had any elephant relatives in his, uh, 
list of relatives anywhere because Philip has the most incredible memory of any person I think I've ever met. And uh, we're going to be bringing up and talking about Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And I believe, Philip, you wanted to address the issue of what started all of this. And uh, it was a rather quick war, which everybody's always thankful for. But at the same token, there was there was a reason for it to start. So let's get right into the show, and it's all yours, Philip. Well, uh, David, uh, I'm, uh, I don't really want to talk about the political causes of the war. Uh, we could just suffice it to say that Saddam Hussein invaded a neighbor. But I wanted to talk about what transitioned it from uh, Desert Shield into Desert Storm. Uh, in Desert Shield, we were there to defend Saudi Arabia, and uh, Desert Storm, we were there to drive Saddam out of out of Kuwait. And uh, <clears throat> we knew that we wanted to uh, bring some hurt onto uh, Saddam and Baghdad, and we had some some lovely new stealth aircraft. Uh, the F-117 was going to come in and drop some bombs. And, uh, but we were just, uh, we had a, a bunch of other aircraft that, uh, didn't have so much stealth and we, uh, weren't a hundred percent certain about the, uh, uh, ability to evade, uh, Saddam's air defense network with the 117. So we kicked it off by destroying Saddam's, uh, two key uh, radar facilities that fed all the information to their defense network. <clears throat> and, uh, these were out in the outskirts of Baghdad. And so, uh, just prior to the, uh, the, uh, the air war starting and the, all the, um, hell raining down in, uh, Baghdad, we, uh, we launched, uh, eight Apache Army uh, H-64 Apache attack helicopters with Hellfire missiles. There was a ninth for a backup. And then um, we sent, uh, they were actually led in, if you recall, uh, in those days. Uh, we had GPS, but it was very new. And only certain uh, sort of developmental aircraft had it. So uh, the Air Force had a couple of... Uh, MH 53s, uh, the helicopters that had, uh, the, uh, GPS on them. So the, the, and they also had a terrain following radar, which the Apache did not have. And so the, uh, <clears throat> the Apaches, uh, under their night vision systems in the dead of night, uh, about one o'clock in the morning, uh, went blasting in, uh, to, uh, into Iraq. Uh, following these, uh, uh, guide aircraft, the MH-53s. And, uh, <clears throat> they launched a simultaneous, uh, attack on these, uh, two air defense, uh, facilities and, uh, <clears throat> blew them up. And about an hour later, uh, it was raining bombs in Baghdad. And, uh, so, that was uh, that operation of uh, Joint Army and uh, Air Force helicopters going to do that uh, was known as uh, Task Force Normandy. And uh, I 
want I must mention for my Blackhawk friends, there was one Blackhawk that went in behind them uh, in the event that any of the aircraft got shot down and crews needed to be rescued. Um, and so that's really what started off the uh, the air war. Um, of course, Army Aviation is uh, that aviation that's in good or uh, organic to ground forces. Um, so it was kind of the ground war that kicked off the air war sort of thing. How, but it was, uh, go ahead. How sophisticated would you rate, uh, Iraq's air defense? Well, uh, you know, it was, it was good because it was state of the art Soviet equipment. Um, I wouldn't call it excellent. Um, it apparently had some, uh, some weaknesses in it, which we knew about and exploited. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if the equipment was left unmolested, it probably would have done a good job of, uh, of interdicting our, uh, our aircraft coming in. Um, uh, the, one of the first aircraft that went in was an EF-111 uh, uh, Raven, aircraft that uh, basically jams all communications and uh, so that was uh, it sort of led the way for the F-117 stealth uh, fighter to come in and drop some ordnance so it was uh, it was well coordinated um, apparently uh, we didn't lose any helicopters in that uh, engagement uh, and uh it set the stage. Now, <clears throat> one of the, uh, we had two different kinds of Mohawks that we flew in Desert Storm, and uh, one was, did what they call a SLAR mission, or side-looking airborne radar. They found moving targets on the ground. And then uh, the other was called a Quick Look, and uh, that had some uh, antennas on it, and um, that were designed to, uh, uh, process uh, air defense radars. Well, actually, any kind of radar. Uh, and the mission of that uh, quick look aircraft was just to fly back and forth at altitude and get painted by every radar that was out on the battlefield. And uh, it had the capability of of cataloging and identifying each radar, its uh, its type, its use, its location, and the uh, Specific parameters of its uh, transmitter. Each transmitter has what they call a fingerprint. But uh, <clears throat> we've been flying those quick uh, look aircraft for well, several weeks prior to the uh, air war beginning. And so we had uh, a pretty good uh, lat long on every single one of uh, Saddam's radars, whether they be uh, air defense uh, or counter battery or weather radar whatever whatever they were uh we knew exactly where they were and uh so i think task number one in the air war was just to destroy every one of uh saddam's uh radars and uh <clears throat> so then he was essentially blind he didn't know what was coming or when it was coming and uh and that kind of opened the door for a whole lot of uh Phil, we're going to take a, our first quick break right quick, and then uh got a question for you when we come back, and uh, 
We'll be back with Philip Forsberg right after this. Georgia, this is Mark the Shark from Bite of Reality. Hey, just wanted to give you a quick shout-out and let you know, vote Herschel Walker in the upcoming elections. You need to get Herschel. He's for family values, education, small business, and pro-Israel, pro-American energy. Herschel Walker is the person you've got to have. With Herschel Walker, you'll get common sense, not nonsense. Government by the people starts with Herschel. December 6th, vote Herschel Walker. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio with Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And um, my question is, and and this is sort of uh, uh, looking at the situation in Ukraine as well, but... You control the sky, you basically control the ground, too. Would that be a correct statement? Well, uh, you know, to some extent, uh, the, uh, you know, I think our doctrine for controlling the skies was to to make sure that the, um, that there was no enemy aircraft that would uh, threaten our, our troops on the ground so they could go in and do the mission that was needed um, on the ground. So um, that's sort of a chicken and the egg thing. Are you controlling the ground because you control the air or are you controlling the air because uh, you need to control the ground? Um, it's certainly it's certainly a big part of the picture and has been ever since uh, well, about World War One. And I, it seems like it becomes in every conflict more and more important. Uh, the only one that, uh, I guess I semi question was, was Korea. And, uh, I was too young to remember any, you know, what was going on and so forth. Uh, and I, so I'll ask our resonant historian, did we control the air in uh, Korea? We, uh, I think we had some uh, some uh, difficulties with uh, uh, some of the Korean North Korean pilots uh, had been trained in the Soviet Union, and uh, and so they were formidable. But uh, our pilots and our, our the training that they had and the equipment that they were provided. Uh, ultimately proved to be uh, superior, but uh, nowhere near the the uh, level of superior that superiority that we had in uh, Desert Storm. If you recall, the very first night of the air war, when the, when bombs started dropping, uh, Saddam uh, launched his entire air force, anything that could fly, and it went for some reason it went to Tehran or to uh, Iranian air bases. And uh, I find that kind of uh, unusual since um, Saddam was uh, mortal enemies with the, the Iranians. Um, but uh, I guess uh, <clears throat> the Iranians, 
any of those aircraft ever made their way back to Iraq. Um, I can't imagine what the agreement might have been uh, with uh, with Iran to to get those aircraft back, but uh, perhaps they had something. I don't know. And I, with between those two countries, I think it's. Uh, I think their philosophy basically was, if I can harm you, I will, and if I can harm the U.S. more, I will. And uh, I'm sure they didn't have any any uh, great uh, document written up. Uh, we'll take your aircraft and storm for you, you know. Uh, but I, it, it was, I. I I'm still amazed that, and I don't lose a lot of sleep over it, but I do think about it on occasion, is why anybody would take on the United States, uh, particularly a country like Iraq and an untrained military person like Saddam and, you know, why they ever thought they could, you know, keep Kuwait and when... If I had been them when the United States said we're coming, that's when I would have been exiting stage left, you know, and getting the heck out of Dodge. But he didn't. And instead, he did a lot of damage. In retrospect, I think he'd have done it differently. Uh, But, you know, initially his intention was not to take on the United States. His intention was to take on a weaker neighbor and uh, sort of betting that the United States wouldn't do anything about it. And, um, you know, <clears throat> there's all sorts of bad that happens in the world that we don't go to war over. Um, but if you become uh, a real threat to our way of life, our, you know, which includes the use of petroleum uh, to fuel everything we do, um, then <clears throat> I think you can pretty well be sure that the United States is. The United States will intervene um, uh, as long as we have some competent leadership, which I'm not sure is the case right now. How, how do you feel from a military standpoint about the reduction of our oil reserve? Well, um, <clears throat> My understanding of the strategic oil reserves is that they are for basically national security. Um, we just, as a nation, didn't want to get into a position where uh, you know, petroleum uh, was going to uh, be the, the factor that keeps us from uh, accomplishing our national objectives. The uh, it's definitely but strategic petroleum reserves not designed for economic or political <coughs> factors uh, but so I would I would say that was uh, that was a misuse of uh, of what we had and, and not, said. not uncharacteristic of this president is uh, it, it has uh, the effect of weakening us, weakening our defenses, which uh, 
hoping uh, will not uh, prove uh, catastrophic to us in the near future. Amen. In a reserve, that's exactly what it is, a reserve in case it's needed. Not in case it's wanted, but in case it's needed. And, uh, you know, so we're in Iraq, or I say we're in Iraq. We're over Iraq, bombing the heck out of them. And uh, anybody with a lick of sense would have thrown up their hands and said, you got us. But... Saddam Hussein obviously didn't have a lick of sense, and he just kept letting his people take a pounding for a while. And, uh, you know, and again, I, I mentioned this before, that our country, to my knowledge, certainly we're seeing this in, in Ukraine, but we go in with the idea of trying to, we know we got a job to do, but, uh, Side, the we don't want to hurt the civilians, and we do everything we can to uh, protect civilians, uh, destroy the military, but the civilians are basically off limits. And uh, you know, the I don't know of any other country in the world that tries harder to not have any of the damages that uh, obviously Russia cares nothing about civilians so the peripheral damage we we control as as much as we can and I think we did that in Iraq as well didn't we? Uh, yeah of course uh, you know we fought across the uh, the plains of uh, uh, Iraq and Kuwait there really was no real civilization to speak of out there. Um, so, <clears throat> um, you know, that was a, it was pretty easy consideration. It was, the, as far as, you know, warfare is concerned, it was, it was pretty well cut and dried with, uh, you know, force on force. And uh, it just... Uh, you know, I liked it to uh, basically fighting a war on a blackboard. Right? You know, everything's laid out for you. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's kind of the way it felt to us. And, uh, of course, we've done that a number of times, right? Doing our uh, our uh, war games, our, you know, simulation models. We uh, would frequently do that kind of thing, lay everything out on, on a board and say, this, you know, this is what we're going to do. I, I guess the collateral damage would be uh, not killing the camels, right? <laughs> there were some camels out there. Um, I did see a, a dead camel on the side of the road that had been hit by a truck, but uh, I guess that's the only camel I saw damaged during Desert Storm. How would, and I guess this is a, a different kind of question, but how would you rate Desert Shield and Desert Storm as quote unquote wars? Uh, 
we weren't, as a country, we weren't thinking about uh, a drip like Saddam Hussein invading Kuwait, but yet we had to respond, and we did. And how how do you think it'll go down in history? You know, uh, I once talked to a fellow who was reading a book about something that was happening uh, some time ago, and he remarked to me that he didn't he didn't read any history that was uh, less than a hundred. Fifty years old. But he said, "If it's if it's newer than that, then uh, it's probably got all sorts of opinion and uh, and political uh, effects in it." And um, you know, uh, he said, "You, you want to get a good distance from from the conflict so that you can get an objective look uh, at what what caused it, what, who were the players, what were their motivations, sort of thing." And uh, I think, you know, if Desert Storm doesn't get completely forgotten, uh, then uh, eventually we'll have enough uh, historians that come through the things and, and put things together. Uh, uh, we'll have a fair view of it, I think, but it might take a hundred years. Well, I'm not sure I'll read that book. No. No. That's, um, but, you know, uh, and as far as how I would rate it, uh, it was it was near optimal in that um, we had the very few of our own casualties, and uh, it lasted uh, only 100 hours of ground combat, on, and, uh, and I was able to get home. Uh, to my family within six months. So I think, uh, I think we wrapped it up pretty good. Now there are those who told me that we didn't finish the job and, uh, you know, we, we should have stayed. But I think these people don't really remember, uh, what was going on politically at the time. We all remember, uh, George H.W. Bush getting in trouble for having to go back on his uh, his uh, swearing no new taxes. But how many people remember that he was forced to renege on that because the Democrats in the Congress, led by Tip O'Neill, uh, had refused to uh, fund our troops. I hope my ass was already in the sand by then. So, um, and so there were a lot of people that I remember, I remember listening to them saying that, uh, that, um, then, you know, they were accusing, uh, our president of trying to drag us into some protracted conflict and it's a personal thing between him and Saddam and they had all sorts of things they were saying. Um, they sort of, uh, compelled him to eventually promise that all he wanted to do was get Saddam out of Kuwait. And uh, so when Saddam left Kuwait, uh, we were honor bound to leave there. And uh, of course, they didn't have to tell me twice. Nor anybody else that was there at the time. (laughs) 
Just show me the door. There's a pretty girl behind every tree there. Yeah. Just show me the door. Uh, I'll be <laughs> glad to leave. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, like you just said, and, and this again is why we do the show is that it was a war. We lost members of our military community because we were at war. And we can't forget those, and we can't forget the veterans that served in Iraq and in Kuwait. And, you know, I, uh, the, I've always thought of Hussein as, how could a, how could a man order those oil wells be destroyed? And burn and the destruction that he caused, you know, the collateral destruction that he caused by burning those wells and the intense smoke and so forth and so on. And, you know, he was just, there's no way to put it other than he was an evil, evil human being. And, uh, he certainly was. Uh, I would say, uh, I think, you know, that lighting the oil wells on fire was sort of, uh, his, uh, act of desperation. He was, uh, painted into a corner. But you have to understand what it's like for a brutal dictator like Saddam. Once you get to be like that, uh, you can never reform. If you try to, uh, if you try to reform, you know, the people, you'll have an uprising, the people will hand you over to the international court at the Hague and they'll hang. So, <clears throat> so really he had no choice. He painted himself into a corner. He had to continue to operate as a tyrant. Um, and, um, so that was, uh, I guess that's a lesson. Anybody listening out there, Thinks you might like to become a tyrant. Um, that's how things end for tyrants. Well, we're going to take another break, and when we get back, I'm going to address that exact question with you uh, about what's going on in another country, another world. We'll be back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. 
Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And you're listening to Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And, uh, Phil, I, I really feel stupid because I wasn't aware of it. But what's going on in China right now? Have you kept up with that at all? Philip. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I have been, uh, monitoring what's going on in China. And, uh, I gotta tell you that, uh, uh, I, I very much, uh, sympathize with the, uh, with the Chinese people that are, uh, expressing their displeasure with the government. They, uh, they're very, very brave because I'll tell you one thing. Uh, Xi Jinping is, uh, is a, an old school dictator. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he, uh, subscribes to the, uh, Mao Zedong, uh, epithet or, a proverb that all power flows from the barrel of a gun. Um, uh, and so, it's, it's the use of force or the threat of force uh, is the way to subjugate the people. And, you know, that's, uh, they would love to do that to us here in our country. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the problem for anybody trying to do that in our country is that uh, the people already have the gun. So, um, and I understand that uh, uh, the president now, our president, is going to make another push to uh, to eliminate, uh, do what we call an assault weapons ban. Huh. Uh, it's an old canard they've used from back in uh, back in the Bill Clinton days. Uh, they uh, <clears throat> you want to. They desperately want to disarm the population, and it's not as though um, assault weapons are being used for mass murders on a large-scale basis. And, of course, passing laws uh, doesn't stop lawbreakers from violating the law. Just, uh, it, it's counterintuitive to think that you could stop people from breaking the law by passing laws. Bad people are going to be bad people. The the surest way to stop a bad man with a gun is a good man with a gun. Yep. And, uh, And there are plenty of good men and women in this country. Um, who regularly uh, carry 
their arms, uh, their weapons, uh, as a matter of force in their day, just to uh, be a service to their neighbors and the folks around them. And uh, it's, uh, you know, people people in other countries, they don't understand that. But, uh, you know, our, our population is, is filled with folks who uh, know how to use their firearms and, uh, and are willing to step in when there's trouble. Between, between your uh, military veterans and your uh, active and former law enforcement uh, folks, uh, there are a lot of people who are what, what we call sheepdogs um, in, in this country that, uh, that spend a fair amount of time being prepared for the very worst. And sometimes they're in the right place at the right time and they make a big, big difference. And as, as we talk on our Locked and Loaded show, a weapon never killed anyone. It's a person holding it. And, you know, if you're going to ban guns or you're going to ban knives after the incident in Idaho, uh, I mean, it. a bad person is going to find a way to kill if that's what their intent is. And uh, it could be poison, it could be a knife, it could be an AR or a pistol or whatever. And... Um, you know, my my thing would be ban the people, not the weapons. And that would start at our border. Ban the people that are coming into the state illegally. And, you know, this is something that is going to come back to bite us and bite us very hard one of these days. And, you know, it's just something we've, we've got to deal with and we're not dealing with it because we... We have a an administration that has nothing between their ears and has nothing between their legs. And, uh, you know, I just, it confuses me that how somebody like that Budacek can even be in an administration. But, you know, I can't solve all the problems and... Um, we have enough problems, and we'll have more in the near future, I'm sure. But, like you well, said... If there, if, if, if there are people who wish us ill, um, they're certainly taking advantage of our poorest border right now to pour as many bad actors uh, into our general population as they can possibly do. And it, it's stunning to me uh, how this <clears throat> this policy, what's going on, has just done nothing but delight our enemies and weaken our our own protections. And I don't know of anybody that could uh, look at it any differently. You've got a bunch of criminals. You've got a bunch of well, they're breaking their law, breaking our laws by doing it anyway. So you've got. A situation that could be stopped 
we're just not stopping it. And I, I can't fathom the reason. Uh, no other country would put up with anything like this. Try to break into Mexico and see how far it gets you. And well, that sort of begs the question, then, doesn't it, David? How, how are these people from Venezuela and Cuba and Eritrea and every third world, um, uh, to find a phrase, uh, Donald Trump, every third world asshole out there, um, they can, they can walk right through Mexico and nobody detains them. Um, you know, that, that's, we have a bone to pick with the Mexican government. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, of course it's, it's the drug cartels that are running everything. And, uh, so there's corruption in their government. Of course, there's corruption in our government too. The, uh, Mexican government's on the take from the drug cartels and our government's on the take from their masters in Beijing. And from China. Yeah. And, uh, well, this shows a, a, a about Desert Shale and Desert Storm, and I know you don't like to get political with what's going on, but it's... Uh, it's going to come back to bite us, and I have no doubt about that. And we're going to need folks yeah. like you, the veterans, that know how to stand and know how to stand for something, not just stand. And uh, this is what – I don't know of any other country that has any more loyal veterans than the United States. And – you know, if if it comes to it, I think we can always count on our American veterans. And I'm proud to do this kind of show. I'm proud to salute the American veterans, salute the active duty folks that are protecting us today and tomorrow, and uh, know that we have a country that we can count on our veterans, we can count on our active duty volunteers, and we have something that they said it couldn't be done, but the United States of America has done it. And we have pride in our flag. We have, not everybody, but we have, most people have pride in our flag. Most people respect the Constitution, and if they don't, I'll send them a copy of the Constitution. And uh, it it's a very short read in reality, but it's the most meaningful read that a person can do, in my opinion. One of the most important reads you'll ever do. So, how many... Uh, in your experience in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, uh, was the Constitution quoted very often, or did people even carry the Constitution? Uh, I know I carried a copy of it in the pocket of my flight suit, um, and you can ask my soldiers. Uh, I would frequently give them 
little tutorials on the Constitution, which I thought was important because, you know, for us to get there, we had to swear an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And, you know, if you're going to do that, you pretty well ought to know what the Constitution says and means. It's important to know that, and it's important to know a little history about how, how the Constitution came to be. It's important, you know, what, what were the, uh, what were the arguments for and against the Constitution? You know, who were the Federalists? Who were the Anti-Federalists? Um, you know, as they hammered out our government, which I think they did a pretty good job. Awesome. Uh, but, you know, there, there were people who weren't necessarily agreeing on things. And, uh, you know, we had to get to a point where we could have the, uh, Constitution ratified by the states. And so, uh, it was a, you know, <clears throat> it wasn't an easy task, but, uh, but it eventually got done by, you know, very brilliant minds and, uh, uh, by people with resolve and people who knew about sacrifice and, Many of them had uh, taken up arms uh, to get to, uh, to birth this country, if you will. <laughs> and uh, our founding fathers, again, this is my opinion and speaking is my opinion, but had to be some of the most humble individuals ever and really willing to accept and give and take. And I was trying to think, do you, I couldn't name, I couldn't come up a list with a list of politicians today that could ever write a document like our Constitution. They are such narcissists and egomaniacs that... They wouldn't give and take. If their, if their view wasn't totally accepted, they'd walk out of the room. And this is where I think our founding fathers were. They were individuals. They certainly had their own ideas. They certainly had their own opinions. But in the end, they penned the second greatest document of the world, in my opinion. And, you know, it, it's not just ink on paper. This document has lasted 240 years and even challenged over and over and over again has always come out on top. And I just, I marvel at our founding fathers and don't think, I don't think it could be done today. What's your opinion? Uh, yeah. I mean, they, uh, they did have a, a great deal of humility to come up with us, and um, you know, of course, they, they were quite impassioned about what they believed and why they believed it. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, they had just uh, eliminated the uh, duly constituted government of the king of England and uh, the United States 
didn't happen right after Yorktown either. You know, several years. Um, but they hung together and kept at it, and I think they did an excellent job with the product. You know, <laughs> this is not a nice question to ask you, Phil, but can can you come up with and or compare George Washington or Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson with any of our leaders today? Well, um, not a great deal of Norman Schwarzkopf. But, uh, he's passed on. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, as our nation matures, uh, we start to show our age in certain things. And, uh, you know, people get, people don't have the same, uh, fervor for the country the way our founding fathers did, the, the signers of the Declaration, uh, many of them gave up their lives, uh, their fortunes, uh, but I think they kept their sacred honor. But, um, and so they, uh, <clears throat> you know, they paid quite a price. And uh, so it, this wasn't just, um, you know, getting votes to them like uh, it seems to be with uh, politicians these days. They're there to get the votes. And, uh, you know, they'll say to you things like, well, if I don't get elected, then I can't do anything. It's true. But, uh, you know, you have to have some respect for the American people and realize you know, they're not all that stupid. Um, yes, there are plenty stupid, but, uh, you know, we, we really have to be on the lookout for politicians who uh, essentially are trying to bribe us with our own money. <laughs> Things like student loan forgiveness. My, my opinion, you dragged it out of me there. Well, I respect your opinion, and and I wanted to drag it out of you. It's uh, <laughs> we've I know that thing. we've never gone through a time like we're going through, and you know, again, uh, the glue that holds us together, and again, my opinion is folks like you that and myself that respect our Constitution and live by our Constitution. And I think, as we see, there are two books that you have to live by, or, or two great documents that you have to live by. And uh, that's the only way we'll ever continue to succeed. And uh, I, the Constitution... You know, if they were honest, and that's sort of an oxymoron, but if you went through Congress and said, have you read the Constitution from stem to stern? And all of them would probably say yes. 
Now, how many were lying and how many were telling the truth? Uh, it would be hard to say. And, you know, it's sort of like you can probably get a heck of an argument. I, I would make you a bet, Phil. If I went into Congress today and said, uh, does the Constitution say that there will be separation of church and state? And it doesn't. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say there will be separate. That was a Thomas Jefferson thing that came up with one of his constituents. And you know it and I know it, but I bet you out of a hundred senators or, or 535 politicians in the House and Senate, they'd argue with you that, oh yeah, it's in the Constitution. basically an all-around failure and uh, I think that uh, we've got another one walking in his footsteps right now and may may prove to be worse than, than he or Franklin Roosevelt but again time will tell it's uh we're coming up on the end of the show. Do you want to wrap up anything, uh, Phil, right quick? Uh, 
say, uh, as you had pointed out about what's going on in China, David, I'll say it. Uh, Americans ought to say a prayer for the brave people in China who are uh, being oppressed. And I think uh, that uh, during this holiday season, uh, folks should go out and try to find veterans uh, who are in need and see what can be done to help. So that's, that's my sign-off, if you will, David. I'll just add one thing to that, and that is that Thanksgiving isn't one day. Thanksgiving is every day because you're in the United States of America. And uh, with that, we'll be back next week with Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Phil, as always, thank you for your insight and your service to our country. We'll be back next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.